Open with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 will be in verses 12 through 17 this morning. If you're using the Bible provided for you, it's page 1009. College students who are with us, we are so glad that you are with us and we will miss you, many of you, come next week. For the rest of you, for those who are with us throughout the college year, they go home to their home churches and families through the summer, obviously, and uh, just a heads up to everybody that we're going to be missing them, many of them through the summer. And uh, heads up to the church as well that for those college students that remain, who live on campus, who live in town, uh, many of their friends head out. This is a great opportunity to move into that place and be a friend to them. No uh, college students that we're praying for you as you head back home. We are eager to see you, Lord willing, and as if, if it is your purpose to be here. Uh, if you haven't graduated yet, to come back and see you next year. Uh, heads up about next week as well. I'll be out of town. I'll be in Albuquerque, New Mexico this next week, uh, visiting with a group of pastors. Um, and that's also where I pastored in an associate role for a number of years, and they've asked me to preach, and I'm so happy to do that. And I'm letting you know so that I can go there and say, I greet uh, them on your behalf. Desert Springs Church is the church. If you're ever in New Mexico, Albuquerque, make sure that you stop by that church. Well, if you're around the office around here, or at least in a certain role or another, you might know that I'm famous for a few things, at least one thing might be walking out the door for lunch and then marching right back into my office. What happened? I forgot my keys. Um, I forgot my wallet. One thing or another. Um, if you're on certain email chains with me, I have email rhythms every week where I may take a block of names and have to send the same email to the same group and then add and swap out very specific people. And uh, depending on how that email is coming together and how quick I got to get out of the office, I may send that and have forgotten to add somebody. I'm so famous for forgetting this or that. Now, the consequences aren't so great. There are good people around me who remind me, and as it is, if I get to my car without a key, I have to march back. That's an easy enough reminder. I can't start it without the key. In your Christian life, you've got your Bible. You've got prayer. What are you forgetting? Are you forgetting something? I suppose it's possible to be here, that's a hint, and still have forgotten something. Let's consider what that might be as we read verses 12 through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may, be put, may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. 
Well, metaphors in biblical texts are so important, we can thank God that he gave us more than words, but he gave us word pictures. They're somewhat easy to abuse, and we need to be careful of this. Uh, some abuses are obvious. We won't, we won't make these if we're around church and Bible enough. Uh, the metaphor, an image of a rock, for example, tells us that that God is strong. We intuitively know that he is not a stone, though we may say that God is a rock. When it comes to this imagery of a race, and that's how the author of Hebrews describes the Christian life, our life together on our way to meet our Lord on the other side of death or at Jesus' coming, it is a race. Now, it is not like a race in every single way, right? There aren't a certain pair of shoes the Christian much must wear. Uh, There is an Instagram feed, I think it's Preacher's Sneakers, I forget the title of it exactly, some preachers have sneakers that are way too expensive, mine are between 40 and 100 bucks, just to give it away. But sneakers are not the thing, we don't need the right physical gear to get across the finish line in the Christian life. But it may be that we actually abuse the race imagery inadvertently without really knowing we do so. Now, you would never say it, but you would never say that the Christian life is a race, as in it's a competition between fellow Christians. It's a competition, this church versus that church. Oh, but sometimes we get up in the morning thinking of ourselves as in competition, setting ourselves against a brother or Sister, proud that we're doing better in this or that way, tickled that maybe they're struggling, glad we're not like those ones who are weaker and having trouble and gasping. As it is, it's their race, and I'm on my path in my race. And if you don't think that among your brothers and sisters, maybe at times it's contrasting one church and another. Now we'll find there's reason to not go to a particular church just because a, a cross is on the top of a church where the Bible is open doesn't mean it, it confesses the apostolic truth concerning Christ and the good news. Nevertheless, where the gospel is preached and the, the word is proclaimed and Christ is exalted and our triune God is worshipped, then we can celebrate the presence of and the work of fellow churches. You set yourself up against a brother or sister or or one church against another. You know, it's good to be thankful for your own church, but there's even a way to talk about your church with Christian friends in the community that that it's kind of like, hey, ours is doing well, or we're struggling. How's things of yours? Maybe yours is better. How's the buzz over there? What's the noise over, over here? I've actually overheard these conversations. They're not a little disturbing. Comparing notes like, what features does my church have? Oh, your church doesn't have those features. My church has these features. Well, we're bigger, so that allows us to do this. Oh, I wish we had more staff. That would be great if we could. Oh, I think that's such a worldly way to talk. Our text this morning will address some of that. So let's all agree together that we don't think of the Christian life or life in church as a race, as a a matter of competition where it's about who can break out ahead of the other or the strong win, the creative win, the fresh 
win. So what is the overlap in this imagery of a race? Because the race imagery is actually very important and biblical. Well, there's a few ways in which the Christian life is like a race. In the first place, there's a long game. We're called to endure over the long haul. Endure, endure, endure is a refrain in this letter. And as it has a long haul, we're to lay aside certain things, hindrances that would keep us from making it all the way to the end. It's a hard race. We're to look in the right places. We're to look around at that great cloud of witnesses down history in the scriptures and around in this room to be cheered on, but also at the witness and testimony of other saints concerning the faithfulness of God so that we might keep going. Most importantly, having looked around, we look ahead. We look up to Christ, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. There's a long game. There's things to lay aside. There's places to look. And there's one more thing we can't forget. Let us not be famous for forgetting this, to lift one another up, to strengthen one another, to support one another in this race. Perseverance, endurance in the Christian life is a community project. Endurance is a community project. Endeavor. We run so to finish, but we run together in order to finish. Which means you need the brothers and sisters around you, and the brothers and sisters around you need you. Desperately need you. We desperately need each other, which is God's plan for getting us across the line together. And so this morning's sermon and this morning's text is a kind of a a pep talk along the road. Maybe we're taking a break at a cooler with those little Gatorade drinks that I've seen other runners drink when they run. Maybe you've had to stop for a drink on a run. And we're all huddled up together and we're getting a pep talk from the Lord of the race for his people on the path. And this passage will explore for us how it is and what it means that our endurance is a community project. What is required of us and what we need from one another. We need support, we need to strive together, and we must stay healthy together. That's where we're going. So first, we support one another on the same path. Verses 12 through 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Well, let's look at the imagery that we are given here. Drooping hands. And weak knees. A near universal imagery for faint-heartedness, but not just physical exhaustion, but fear. The race here is a race for our lives. 
It is a race unto life, and it is exhausting. And the weakness here is not so much physical as it is spiritual weakness, a weakness to believe in the faithfulness of God, a weakness in the face of the costs of doing so on this long journey that we're on in believing and following Christ. This is what needs support. We have body parts here, drooping hands and weak needs. What it takes to run with. We also have the imagery of a path. Make straight paths for your feet. And on the path, on any race or any journey, there are various obstacles and opportunities to get off the path and distractions and those perhaps insulting and telling you you're wasting your time and you're on the wrong path. Not only will you not make it, not only is it not worth it, but maybe you're on the wrong path altogether. So what are you doing? Drooping hands and weak knees, a sign of of fearfulness and trepidation and hesitation, a weakness of will and paths, a reminder of where our feet tread and where we go and who's along the way and what we find there. So we get this imagery that is related to our race. Now let's listen for some instruction. We've considered what needs support. Now what kind of support is needed? Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. It's the same word lift and strengthen there. It has a sense of calling you up to stand up straight. Run straight. Straighten your back. It's an encouraging call to stay, to keep going. You'll remember toward the end of chapter before we got into that famous hall of faith recounting the faithfulness and the faith of Abraham and Abel before him and Moses after him we heard but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls shrink back that sense of that sense of fear No, lift up, strengthen your weak knees. In other words, don't shrink back. Hang in there, straighten up, keep going. But there's more straightening than just straightening your back and straightening up and strengthening weak knees. But a straightening of the path makes straight paths for your your feet, which is an interesting expression until you realize that this is all set in the plural. He's talking to a church. He's talking to a group. And as we consider the rest of the passage, striving for peace with everyone and seeing to it that no one fails to make it, we consider that this too has a communal dimension to it. We make each other's paths straight. We help each other out to, to spot obstacles like that little app Waze. I had a six-hour trip with one of my daughters uh, a number of months ago, and uh, 
Now the one that's not the right daughter will be mad that I narrowed it to two of them um, in any case. And uh, she uh, set uh, uh, the Waze app to Paw Patrol. It's my first experience with, with Waze is that app, it's more social where people are communicating about various things that are along the road. And I had the Paw Patrol voice at me for six hours telling me about various obstacles and hindrances and rerouting us if necessary, very helpful, and I changed the voice as soon as the trip was over. Well, we're kind of like that as Christians. Those of us who have been down the road a bit are telling others about where the snares are and where the traps are and where the rocks are, and to the extent that we can, we're actually making that path straight. We're not just showing them where to go so that they might run straight. We're actually clearing the way for them. We care about the vulnerable among us. They're our team and we're running together and they need me and they need you. And we often are the vulnerable who need help along the path to know where to run when we're faint-hearted. And even to have the path cleared for us as possible. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. For running on a straight path is better for your body and your bones and your joints. You can run longer and faster and better and with greater health with a flat surface. And so we're all about helping each other out here at Heritage Bible Church with a nice straight path. Part of what we're doing when we mingle and talk before church I love our loud room, and I love how good we are at getting down to business at 9.30. But I do love all the interaction, and after church, and in the hallways, and over text message, and across the table from coffee, and dropping off a meal, and all of the other really specific ways that you interact together according to your needs during the week. All of that is straightening the path so that your brothers and sisters can run straight. Those are healing interactions. If you ever watch basketball games, it's the playoffs now, and you'll see these grown men who are at the top of their game shoot a free throw, and it goes in. And three or four of the other players, you know, they all do in little fives. And then he misses. They do the same thing. And I asked a friend who's a little more into sports, I can watch him. He knows how to play them. Uh, why, so why do they do all that? It's kind of funny to me. It's like, oh, there's studies that show that um, those kinds of interactions and contacts and encouragements, just as simple as can be there at the free throw line, actually go a long way to helping a team play well together. And it's doubtful those players are thinking of the science of it, but it's built into the culture of, of basketball. Happy, affirming, encouraging, we got this, keep going, don't worry about it kinds of interactions. And I thought, yeah, that would get all kinds of thoughts out of my head if I was a basketball player. Oh, shoot, I missed. Hopefully they don't think, no, by that time I'm already encouraged and we're on to the next next shot. So those kinds of interactions that a healthy, happy, successful team will have that are a part of their success are not unlike what goes on around here in all of your interactions of any kind where we are interacting with a view to our encouragement 
in Christ. We are helping heal one another for our shared endurance on the path. We're kicking the rocks out of the way. We're saying, straighten up. And you're even doing that with an encouraging and thankful word and attention to each other and each other's names and remembering a detail, not in kind of a rigid, legalistic, hopefully you said three names kind of way, but in a way you know the names of your family members and greet them when you come in the door. So we want to do that together. And it takes work with a big group like ours. So we have groups and interactions that are planned in various ways. But those are all just ways of stimulating you for the kinds of everyday, normal family interactions that are each of our responsibility. So we support one another on the same path. But there's more to say here. There are some scriptures in the background. One from, one from Proverbs Let your eyes look directly forward from Proverbs 4 and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. You hear it? Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Our author has picked that proverb up and he has appropriated it for our purposes as a church. Now what does this sound like? to one another when we're getting specific? What does this kind of healing conversation sound like when it's time for surgery, when it's time to pick up a rock? Because this has a bare command kind of feel to it. Lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. I'm not preaching it that way, but read on the surface, it it can have a sound of buck up, don't you fall. (laughs) Now, that's somehow how, sometimes how we talk to each other. We can be direct, and that's important, but sometimes we're discouraging and direct. What's wrong with you is the, is the tone. It's the word between the lines. Oh, that is not it at all here. These are healing words. And I can't help but hear them as healing words when we hear them against another passage that is in the background from the book of Isaiah Where the Lord says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, for those who have an anxious heart, this is what you need to hear from each other and this is what we all need to say to each other. Be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Yes, in the new creation physically, but that's spiritual promises here. If you have a hard time seeing through the fog and through the dark, you will see. He will open your eyes. You have a hard time running due to weakness. He will strengthen you and the Lord will come and he will completely heal. Not just your physically physical body, but your weakness of faith that bothers you and And your spiritual weaknesses that you know right now that are a reason why you need your church and this word every week. He'll heal all of that spiritually. Now you'll see him perfectly and you'll be made holy as he is holy. You will be like him for you will see him as he is. In other words, this lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet is more than a bare command, but a very encouraging reminder that the Lord will come for his people, that he will make all things right. And every reason for discouragement 
and fear in the present moment will be inverted and set right so that everything looks as it is and everything is made right as it should be. And that's great, great news right at the head of our passage this morning. Do you sense your need for healing spiritually? Do you feel weak? You're in the right place. Do not wait to feel stronger to go to church. Go to church to get stronger to help others who are weak. We're all on the same path and we all need support. And our strength to support one another and the strength with which we support one another is strength from the Lord. So, the church is a worshiping community, and therefore the church is a theological community. We teach and we confess and we profess and we remind one another of the truth and we study. So too, and those aren't against each other, so too the church is, we could say, a running community. Not merely runners, but a running community And we are therefore, we could say, a physical therapy clinic where all of us are getting the help that we need from our brothers and sisters in this hard work of endurance. But the church is not just a physical therapy clinic. It is that. Second, we strive together toward the same goals. We're not just about healing up to be able to run theoretically. We are really running together. Mutual support and mutual effort. And if that first division of our material was about how every member supports every member, then this part of our text concerns making every effort together. There is physical therapy and there is physical training. In your training for whatever physical activity you're involved in, let's say you're involved in running, there are various goals and targets you might be trying to hit. You might be measuring a time. You might be measuring distance. You might be measuring your heart rate. I'm sure there are other measurements for smart runners. I've run with... Uh, Jim Knaus, and he sent me some printout. It was multiple pages of, of our run that morning. I didn't look at it. I didn't, I didn't care. Uh, Jim cares for me, though, and that's great. Now, some of you, you, you keep track of different things, and you have your reasons, and based on your own goals, you will set goals. If you're training for a marathon, you will set goals in order to see that you can get across that, that finish line in the end. So what are the kinds of goals that we set as Christians and as, as a church for ourselves? Oh, there are all kinds of things that may occupy your mind and conversation and imagination when you think about your church. Some of that comes out when you're looking for a church. I'm always grateful when someone who's a believer and discipled somewhere else is looking for a church and they start asking about our elders and how elders become elders and how the church works around here. And you can't ask every question on entry. And we have a membership class 
But, but there, those are good questions. Those are good questions. So what are we, what are we after? Two things. Peace and holiness. How about that for two marks of a healthy church? Now, there's a lot that goes into peace and holiness, but those are two good words to keep in mind. You can actually have a, a lot right constitutionally and technically and ecclesiologically and not have those. But here they are. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace with everyone, Heritage Bible Church. Be at peace with each other. Now, if you're in a race, to extend that imagery, it's not going to help anybody for you to be fighting and punching and kicking and stabbing and tripping one another up along the way. And if you all are on the same team, running in a company that finishes together, then I would hope the group would self-police and see that that gets worked out. And so as our author is exhorting this church, strive for peace with everyone, so we say to each other, and sometimes with specifics when it's necessary, hey, you need to strive for peace with so-and-so. And maybe this morning as you talk to yourself and preach to yourself from this passage, you would say, I really need to strive for peace with so-and-so. That strive word, it's an aggressive word. It's, it's the kind of word used in a sentence like striving after your enemies. It's, it's the word that would be associated with the aggressiveness of persecution, insistence, intensity, tenacity. Strive with all of that intensity, friends, for peace with everyone. And it's no good answer to that to just hide away. It assumes family-like community and relationships. Just consider how the Apostle Paul spoke to the church at Rome. We could pick this up from many New Testament letters. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them those outside the church. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Oh, that's another way to say rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, isn't it? You have to keep track of each other at a certain level to be able to do that. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Oh, he has to say that because that's not our inclination those who are not lowly, tend to clump together to prefer the company of those who are in their same, more healthy at the moment position, if that's what he has in mind. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all, which means that there will be opportunities when evil is committed against you from outside and perhaps within. And when you'll need to consider what is honorable in the sight of all. Live peaceably with all. If possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, why does he say so far as it depends on you? He's a good pastor, you see. He knows sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. 
Now, that doesn't mean you're, you're giving up you know, with just little effort because, well, you've done what you can. Now, there may be plenty more that you can do. But in as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody. It's an acknowledgement that this is a goal that may not be achievable with every person in every, in every instance. It may take a long time to, to see, but it is that after which we must strive nevertheless. Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with with good. Remember that striving language, Ephesians 4. Brothers and sisters, according to your calling, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And again from Romans, let us pursue what makes peace and for mutual upbuilding. Peace. It's such a commonly featured word and goal, and we are regularly exhorted to seek it. So friends, church, let us strive for peace with one another. Is there somebody that you need to make peace with, to seek peace with this morning? Well, pursue them after the service or make plans to pursue them in an appropriate way at the next best opportunity. Striving for peace. Strive as well for holiness. Holiness, being set apart from the world, set apart for God. Holiness figured into the book of Leviticus and that old covenant plan at the the tabernacle. You're to distinguish between the unholy, the holy, and the common. There were were things and people and clothes and sacrifices fit for the presence of God and those that were not, and that was the big lesson, that God is special and his presence is special. In what way is it? It's holy. It is set apart. It is pure. It's perfect. Brightness would characterize it if you had to picture it in some fashion. It would blind your eyes. No, his holiness is, is our goal. And that's a funny way. Funny isn't the right word. That is a perplexing and even troubling goal, is it not? And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, we've already explored the theme of holiness in this book. Holiness is that which keeps us from the presence of God and a relationship of God. And holiness, that problem answered by the Holy Son of God who gave himself a holy sacrifice for us so that guilty and unclean sinners could be confident in the presence of God as those accepted, even though we yet sin. So what does this mean? And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It is a direct statement. It's provocative. What is it saying and what is it doing? Minimally, Holiness is for us a preparation 
for heaven. Here's J.C. Ryle. We must be holy because without holiness on earth, we shall never be prepared to enjoy heaven. Heaven is a holy place. Suppose for a moment that you were allowed to enter heaven without holiness, what would you do? What possible enjoyment could you feel there? To which of all the saints would you join yourself and by whose side would you sit down? Their pleasures would not be your pleasures, their tastes not your tastes, their character not your character. How could you possibly be happy if you had not been holy on earth? It is from our unholiness and our love of of fleeting pleasures, little pleasures that don't last, little pleasures that are really pleasurable in the moment but come back to bite you. Moses considered the reward greater than the fleeting pleasures of Egypt. We had so much treasure and opportunity there in that land. He was looking forward to the reward. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater reward and worth than the fleeting pleasures of Egypt that are real, though fleeting pleasures here. But we are saved from those fleeting pleasures unto that ultimate pleasure of knowing the Lord and a life lived for Him and by Him. And so to be saved, to be a Christian, is to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, from unrighteousness to righteousness, from unholiness to holiness. We are in the first place made right with God through Jesus' holy sacrifice, whereby our sins are paid for and they're all taken away. And all of our unholy thoughts and acts and deeds, past, present, and future, are not considered upon our reception before God. And yet our enjoyment of God and our preparation for heaven is connected to our transformation into the likeness of God's holy son, Jesus. Holiness and the pursuit of holiness and an aggressive, intense striving after holiness is a preparation for heaven. It is also basic, fundamental to perseverance on the way to heaven. As we have learned in this book, so the one whom God saves and forgives will persevere to the finish line. And we are looking at the Christian life in this book as those who are on a race. And just as we were called by the word of God and the preaching of the good news to believe, so we are called as Christians to keep believing. And that we respond and keep believing is proof that we believed in the first place. And to the extent that that makes you confused or start wondering, we've, we've told ourselves not to look inside so much as with our insides we look up to Christ, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Holiness, unholiness is what we were saved from, and holiness is what we were saved unto. And without it, no one will see the Lord and praise God. When, we, when Jesus comes and we see him as we, he is, we will be transformed so that we are like him and we will be holy as he is holy. That's a part of the good news of the gospel. 
So holiness is something that is found in Christ who has made us perfectly acceptable to God. And holiness is something that is sought by those who have found the Son in preparation for heaven and because it is just what we do as those who have found the Christ of heaven. So don't lose sleep over this. That is not its purpose. Rather, lose sin. Lay off that which hinders you in finishing this race. And I should add, strive for peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord in a church. And how do you know when holiness is a problem for a church? When peace is a problem for a church. These are connected. They belong in a sentence just like this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, Jesus said. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There it is, paired together. Or Psalm 34, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There is a connection between our holiness, our likeness to God and moral purity and rightly ordered affections and desires and actions and thoughts and words and deeds and our peace as a church. And I give thanks to God for the peace that is among you that is an evidence of the holiness that you are earnestly striving for and helping one another to seek. The two goals are, in a real sense, one. So we support one another on the same path. That's one thing that it means that endurance is a community project. We strive together toward the same goals, peace and holiness. Third, we stay healthy together at all costs. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. And afterward he desired to inherit the blessing but he was rejected for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. Now, just as we, we get sick together physically, something's going around, they say. Well, why do we say that? Well, I heard that one person was sick, and then I heard another person was sick, and I'm kind of feeling like I'm getting sick. What's that? It's not a coincidence. We got it from each other. Something goes around. Sickness goes around. Health goes around, as we've explored. But now, here we see that sickness, spiritual sickness goes around Two, this see to it, this is plural, it's for all of us, with respect to all of us. Verse 15, B, see that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And there's a relationship between these see to it's, these negative commands, these, these problem problems and problem people and our striving for peace 
and holiness. That is the main clause, striving positively for peace and holiness. And then, and then in a way, this is how to go about that. See, peace takes something. Holiness takes something. Vigilance. And here's the some things that peace and holiness take to seek. Three cancers or viruses, maybe that's better. Apathy, apostasy, ungodly appetites. Apathy, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Apathy isn't a perfect word. This is that character who's drifting now. Maybe you're drifting. Suspicious of the grace of God. Suspicious of the goodness of God. Flirting with unbelief. Do I really believe he's good? Do I really believe his promises are true? Do I really believe even that I can be forgiven? Do I really believe that this sin is actually sin and that it needs forgiveness? There are all kinds of species of sin and unbelief. You have to know your own heart and the hearts of your brothers and sisters here. But see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And this isn't just a command for you individually. It's a command for you to see to it that no one fails to obtain. So encourage one another with the truth of the goodness of God and the grace of God. And may his goodness and his grace be ever on our lips. Let us be watching out for each other so that we may not drift. Apathy. Are you starting to not care? Are you starting to not think on the grace and goodness of God? Are you starting to doubt his goodness and his grace? That can lead to more sinister problems. These three here, I even hesitate to divide them into three, but we have different images and I'm pulling them apart a bit. Beware of the apathetic and for the apathetic. And beware of apathy in your own heart, suspicion that God is not good or that his grace is not gracious. Apostasy, apostasy. See that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Apostasy, that word we use for that one who has fallen away. In this case, A stubbornness that refuses to believe the word of God. Hebrews 3 verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. Which is to say, this one who has fallen away, who has gone from maybe apathy and suspicion to outright stubbornness and rejection of the grace of God and of the word of God, this one we need not only look out for 
to help them, but in this case, we would preach the gospel to them, but protect the church from them. And there are other Bible passages for how that matter is handled. But when one denies Christ and leaves the faith, they are outside of the church. And though you may attend here if you leave Christ and come back, but you are not welcome at the Lord's table, that sign of communion with him and his people. This is very serious. This root of bitterness, uh, out in sort of popular Christian speak, it's understandable. We might hear root of bitterness and think, I should fight bitterness in my heart. I would commend that fight to you. That is not exactly what this passage is speaking of. This passage is built, this language is built right off of a passage in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29. Beware, lest there be among you, you recognize that, a man or a woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be any among you, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of his own sworn covenant, this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead the sweeping away of of moist and dry alike. Do you hear it now? See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness, a root that bears poisonous and bitter fruit, springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. So let us do to keep ourselves from getting there. But part of the issue in Deuteronomy was self-deception. This idea of a root. Where's the root? It's underground. You can't see it. I weeded in the backyard yesterday and I got a lot of roots. Some of them I didn't. I know they're down there, but I can't see them. I'll get them next time. Roots hide. They're under the surface. But we need to look to the roots. And we need to tend to each other's hearts and motives and beliefs and what we're really believing and our vision of God. And see to it that no root of bitterness springs up. That doesn't mean keep it a root. It means this brother or sister who has left Jesus must be put out of the church. So that that bitter root bearing poisonous fruit does not poison and defile the whole community. And so this is a church that practices church discipline, we call it. Oh, in the everyday of life, as we exhort one another and appeal to each other and and confess our sins to each other, that's normal. That's a part of discipline in the Christian life. Oh, but as we dig in with, with stubbornness and refuse to repent, we may betray the root under that poisonous fruit. And it doesn't matter how much you've given and it doesn't matter how involved you are or what role you hold in our church including me, if the poisonous fruit of unrepentance and the rejection of the grace of God and the goodness of God and the word of God is bearing witness to a poisonous root, that threatens to poison the whole congregation, to leaven the whole lump. 
So see to it, friends, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Beware apathy, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Beware of apostasy. And then we have this matter of appetites. And then maybe we can relate with this, you know, one after another in this room, more than the others. See that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. And some of us grew up in church and we heard the gospel preached and we've believed it and praise God we believed it and be encouraged that you believe and don't wish you had a more complicated story. Many with more complicated stories aren't in the room right now and you are. And maybe you've come to Christ and you left the darkness and you came into light and you can remember when all this went down. It's very clear in your mind. And you're not turning back. And so apostasy, it's not in front of you as an immediate threat, but it is something you need to watch out for. Oh, but this one, it's hard to find a Christian because of sin in our hearts, because of Adam's nature in all of us who hasn't desired sexual immorality who hasn't desired to see something, who hasn't imagined something with someone or someones. We all have a profile of sexual perversion whereby we desire to unite with the wrong people, the wrong numbers of people, and the wrong contexts. Sexual arousal is not for ourselves with ourselves. It is not for ourselves with anyone. It is not for ourselves through a screen with anyone anywhere. It is for a man and a wife in the context of marriage. And we have a sermon coming up. And it's as simple as keeping the marriage bed holy. But even here, let us see that one another, that no one among us is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. What's up with Esau? Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. So is this two things, sexually immoral and then unholy like Esau, and then we get into how he sold his birthright for a single meal. How is that even unholy? I use the language of appetites here. This isn't the one who is suspicious of the grace of God by emphasis or, or stubborn, though that's there, but the one who is ruled by his passions, sensual, living by the senses. Esau, Jacob and Esau. Esau, the firstborn, with a right to the father's blessing. I, from Isaac, he's in from hunting, he's exhausted, needs a meal. Jacob's a trickster, offers a meal in exchange for the birthright, and Esau takes it. You got to feel a little bad for Esau. Guy was really tired and he was really hungry, apparently. Oh, but he exchanged his inheritance for immediate gratification. He did not endure, in other words. And he's, he's a perfect example of what happens when we give ourselves to, to a click and to a look and to secret pleasures with someone or in our imaginations. Why so many marriages can fail. One step led to another led to another in this area of sexual immorality. So much devastation. It's the same thing Esau was doing. It's the same thing. So in our fight against sexual temptation, brothers and sisters, just imagine Esau exhausted, hungry, his appetite, he wanted that food. 
It was good food. His inheritance seemed a long way off. And as it is, it felt like he could die anyways. It felt so foreign and far away and, and useless at the moment. But for an immediate answer to his immediate hunger, he traded his inheritance. Brothers and sisters, don't trade your inheritance for any immediate gratification. For a fleeting pleasure, pleasure though it is. Music's always changing, and um, I like all kinds of music. I was reading this week about the death of rock and roll, and, and uh, some of you are probably like, yay! Uh, but let me warn you, the, the name of the thing or the, the genre or the distortion of the guitars isn't, isn't it. So much, I started hearing this in the mid-2000s, so much music, radio music that I might enjoy started getting swallowed up by electronic noises. And now, like, I hardly like anything that's out there. Purely on aesthetic grounds. All right, this piece that was analyzing the matter and has more to do with just changing tastes, but how musicians are paid and how the industry works and all that, which isn't relevant to the, to the sermon. But I thought this was older music. Electric guitars, bass guitar, live drums, acoustic guitar, piano, lead vocals, backup vocals, sometimes orchestral instruments, okay? That's the instruments. Songwriting, lead melody with words over chord changes that anyone can play on a guitar or piano. Chord patterns generally derived from the African-American blues tradition along with expressive vocal styling, all right? Lyrics about romantic relationships or social change, usually defying the order of older generations' taste in such matters. And you have to listen with discernment, obviously. All right. Now, newer music. Instruments. Drum machines, percussion, snaps, hand claps, marimba, clave, synthetic bass, piano, recording samples, and a wide array of synth sounds, sometimes guitar, and a lead singer multi-tracked many times over and melodic vocal sounds like oh are used as hooks it's so much harder for the average kid to learn an instrument and make music these days cuz so much of it is so produced the songwriting music lyrics and digital production are fused together the song with the words that is interconnected with its complex production and mix the chord changes are usually very simple to make way for complicated rhythms Now, the lyrics, not about romantic relationships or social change, but about romantic relationships, hip-hop culture, club culture, and this is what stuck out, to, stuck out to me, about sexual encounters. Often enough when I think, I don't like pull up those lyrics because it's a catchy song, I pull up the lyrics and I think, oh wow, that's such a catchy song. And the song is literally about body parts in action, about sexual encounters. Dare I say, oh, for the days of love songs and songs about romance and relationships. <laughs> keep your ears open, keep your eyes open. Parents, don't be afraid to tend to these matters. Kids, take the lead of your parents. They love you. It's why God gave them to you. It's a dark world getting darker all around us. Let no one be sexually immoral. What even is that? 
Christians know what that is. In the first century Rome, where Christianity was born, the, the call to sexual holiness was utterly unique. No one else was doing this. The thing about being a Christian today is going to have bodily integrity. You believe that you are a man or a woman and that men and women go together and should go together in marriage where they make children, that marriage which is the proper context for the rearing of children. The whole thing hangs together and it's beautiful. Unless because of the fall and sin outside of us and death, the marriage and and homes are broken in various ways, or less because of sin inside us, we prefer instant gratification. An answer to our hunger like Esau took that meal and traded his inheritance. Taking that meal might be your first step to trading your inheritance. Do not do it. And why? What's at stake? For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now, that doesn't mean he wanted to repent, but God wouldn't let him. Now, this is the same thing that we've been reading about in the book of Hebrews. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers, then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are are crucifying again the Son of God to their own harm. Harden your heart a little and you may harden your heart more and there may be no hope for you, so let's watch out for each other. Let's look out for roots. Let's look out for suspicion. Let's look out for stubbornness. Let's look out for brothers and sisters who appear to be ruled by or growing ruled by their passions and let's watch out for ourselves in this so that we can see to each other's care all the way across the finish line. Friends, endurance is a community project. You desperately need each other and you are desperately needed by each other. And don't forget that none of this is bare command, but it is a reminder that it is the Lord who lifts drooping hands and strengthens weak knees for he will come just as he promised. Do not stop believing. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need your help to strive with this intensity for the goal. Would you give us peace? Would you, would you help us to grow in holiness? Would you help us now as we come around the Lord's table to remember our holy Lord who gave himself for us and the promise that he will come again? Would you help us to commune with each other and so to commune with him? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.